Driven Society Podcast. This is Franz Bowen. This is Trav Weeks. Uh-huh. Back with another installation of the Driven Society Podcast. We're Real back. quick, I want to shout out my man Hassan Hussain on the boards one time. Brother Hassan, we appreciate you. That was an ill moment of silence for Hassan because he's a dope. You are right. And uh, now... We got a uh, another special guest in the building, a, a repeat guest. Yep, you know what I'm a saying. A friend of the family, <laughs> facts. Friend yeah. of ours. You know what I'm saying. Say. Uh, social media anthropologist, um, artist, Flatbush resident, hey. uh, author, Jay Z enthusiast, <laughs> uh, curator, light skin, <laughs> <laughs> frequent Jordan wearer. You win, dog. <laughs> Got Alex Wolf in the building. Woo! You know what I'm saying? Hey. Claps and snaps. What's good? Welcome back, Alex. Alex, um, I call her uh, a boogie. Um, Alex is uh, super dope. Um, if you guys are not familiar with her work, um, please check it out. She really um, defines um, what technology and culture and what that means right now today in society. So it's super dope. Um, last time we heard her on, it was more of like a marketing aspect. She just finished the book, Resonate. Which was amazing for all, the, for all the marketers out there. If anybody wants to know how to build an audience, please cop that book. Um, this time around, Alex did something really extremely dope. Um, she presented a talk about the relationship on tech and culture. Actually, why we feel unaligned with our age. Um, and uh, it was insightful to say the least. In the room, there was a lot of gasping, like, <laughs> damn, that's so true. Like, wow, word. Definitely. Like, it was like, everybody was like, mine was just blown understanding why we operate and uh you know go about things a a certain way so yeah it was it was definitely um amazing to be at um alex if you would go in to talk about you know what the talk was and and um why was it important for you to share yeah i'm actually curious to learn about what stuck for you guys um so the talk was called why do so many millennials feel unaligned with their age breaking down our generation's complicated relationship with adulthood And Mm. it came to be for a few reasons. One of them was in working with corporations and seeing how many of them still perceive millennials as, you know, early 20s, um, young, young, young adults and not what we really are, which is um, in, in our older 20s. And some of us are on the edge of 40. So it started with that. And then I think also being a millennial myself and. Uh, like, you know, aging, getting older and um, talking to other friends who just were having like these identity crisis every time a birthday came around. Like, I can't believe I'm 27 or just I didn't think this would feel this way or I just never even pictured being this age. And so I was really fascinated, fascinated about like what is responsible for that type of sensation. And there were also just a bunch of memes going around that really reflected this weird sensation and so I had been I had ideas about it for like you know over a year but it was really difficult to articulate it so once I actually was able to like pin it down to three different causalities I was ready to present so for sure and what were those causalities for uh individuals that weren't able to attend yes so the first is the complicated relationship between time stimuli and the clock Mm -hmm. um because they're all three separate things even though they're intertwined and they can create a very uh vast illusion uh the second is immature internet behaviors so things like liking a photo or using lol to end a conversation uh their internet gestures that are 
uh, immature and are they're trying to communicate without using your words. And the third is the lack of rites of passage in our culture. So not really having internally transformational ceremonies or events that help signify the change between one life stage to the next. For sure. Which is um, extremely interesting. Because one, one thing I found listening to you talk was, um, I found fascinating was the levels of research you did. Um, what was, like, how was that? How did you even know where to start? Where did you start? You know, and, and when you were in your research, what were some of the things that made you go like, oh, shit? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I had to, I was really researching generations. So it started honestly with Gen Z because they're hot right now. Everyone's like talking about them. And um, a lot of them, a lot of people are mistaking millennials with Gen Z. And so I really wanted to get very clear about the distinction of Gen Z to millennial. I wanted to know what the cultural divides were because we have a lot in common, but there are things that make us different. So I was learning about how Gen Z was raised. Um and the sort of difficulties they're having with communicating in person and, and, you know, human interaction. And then after I found that distinction, I, I went into, okay, what uh, distinguishes the millennials from the Gen Xers and nothing. I mean, we're all human, so we have way more in common as generations than we don't, but these little things that do make the differences um, cause, cause these like language barriers. So I wanted to get I this research was about, OK, what is going to help illustrate these language barriers between the generations? Oh. And it was that meant that I had to, you know, read from anthropologists, cultural anthropologists, um, people who have done research and have gone to other countries and spent time there. And it was very interesting because there's stuff that was published in the 60s that was like more than relevant for today. Mm. So it was just a lot of that. What was, in in your research to that point, what was the phenomena that kind of sparked that thought in the 60s that, uh, that was like parallel to today? Yeah, it was, I, I bring it up in the talk. So there's a there was a cultural anthropologist named Margaret Mead who was way ahead of her time and she published uh, a journal in the 1960s that distinguished um, the way information spreads in a generation. So she uh, coined the term a, post-figurative culture which is where the old teach the young Mm. and that's how many of us assume information spreads in societies just you know the idea of um, information being passed down is implying that it's coming from an older source but she was seeing how with the new mediums of television and radio that at at the time um, that we were turning into what she called a prefigurative culture where the young have to teach the old how to navigate the society. And if the young don't teach the old, then they will have a hard time, you know, assimilating to the economy, to the social life. Um, so the burden is placed on the younger people to keep the older people up to date. Got it. Yeah. One of the things too, that stuck out in my mind was, um, that I found so interesting was the rite of passage. Oh um, yeah, for sure. Right. Like, cause it's like, I started thinking like, wow, we don't have like a special ceremony for us to show that transition. And I don't know if there was before, I don't know why I feel like the decade before us or like Gen X had that or whatnot, but like, you know, us going into our thirties and getting into our forties pocket. Now there's really nothing that you can say that, okay, this person did this and transitioned to this area. Like there's nothing that 
signifies that, right? right. Um, what do you think we miss as a culture? Like, what are we? What are we? What's being? Um, what are we not receiving that can like actually add value to us as a culture, as a community, by not having those types of rite of passage? Empowerment. Mm. Yeah, rites of passage is about burdening young people with responsibility, mm. but in a way that they feel prepared for and in a way that empowers them. And so what I also was illustrating in the talk was that there's this big misconception that teenagers need to be sort of locked away in the home, safe, away from danger. Mm. Um, especially with the Gen Z, there's a lot of stigma about how Gen Z is not really acclimating to university environments because they're very, you know, triggered by things that previous generations were not. Right. And so they have all the stigma of having thinner skin and again, it perpetuates this myth that teenagers shouldn't have challenges and responsibilities. But those things, once they're overcome and when they're set up in a way where the teen is set up for success, which is how many of these uh, rituals and ceremonies are set up in these traditional cultures, then you feel accomplished and you feel like you can take on reality and adulthood and not that everything is going to be rosy, but you walk away a man or a woman or, you know, you walk away feeling like you can handle life and the whole adulting industry, the whole um, industry that millennials have made into, Oh, how to be a real adult. (laughs) I think are symptoms of that unpreparedness that we feel. Because right. we don't want to we don't want to deal with reality. And it's really easy not to in American culture, because the role we have here is to either perform or to consume. Hmm. It's not to. You know, <laughs> that's <laughs> interesting, because sure. like more and more like if, ever since you said that, I've been like recognizing the. Um, more and more <laughs> I've been recognizing like the adulting hashtag, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, somebody goes to the the laundromat or. You know, the supermarket, like, hashtag adulting is like, I mean, you kind of have right. to do Like, that. give me brownie points for, you know, yeah. nothing. Right, right. <laughs> for but going to, yeah, do laundry. One thing I, one thing that, that did stick out to me because um, when I was younger, I, I do remember, like, you know, being a part of, like, this after-school program. And then, like, when we ter- turned 13, they had, like, this rites of passage ceremony for us, right? Mm-hmm. But it was kind of, like, based on, mm-hmm. like... um like an African culture kind of thing. So we got right. together and like sang songs and lit candles and stuff. And I was wondering, you know, from your perspective, do you, do you think that really um, affects people that don't have that type of ritual? For example, like people in the um, Jewish community, they have like bar and bat mitzvahs, mm-hmm. you know, to, um, you know, cross their youth over into adulthood. Right. Do you, do you think that they also, or from your um research and experience do they yeah. suffer from that as well or are are they perhaps more well off in, oh in that like regard? the cultures who do have a yeah. little some some um i think yeah i think something's better than nothing mm. and i think that we don't have to wait for someone to invent a rite of passage like i think if you are a parent or if you have children in your life mm, you create can, your own for your family yeah it can mm, be sure. like and there are parents who are exploring little things like there was a gentleman who you know told his kids to um try to figure out how to you know make a i forgot if it was something like make an egg drop from like top of a building but only have a certain amount of resources so it's about like stimulating how resourceful are you Mm. how much grit do you have it can be like one of the things he got his kids to do was run uh like beat a record that they had for running Mm -hmm. like a 
a race. And so, of course, you, you don't want to overdo it. You want to have just enough wiggle room so that if they fail, they fail and it's okay. But if they succeed, it's actual success it's, and yeah. it's an actual victory because that, again, creates that self-esteem right. where it's like, okay, I can handle life. Um, another thing that's important for listeners is to know the distinction distinction of what ages these generations are. So for Gen Z, the cutoff point is 95. So if you're born after 95, you are, or yeah, Gen Z. Mm-hmm. Millennials start in 1980. And I believe Gen X, I want to say starts 64-ish, 67-ish mm-hmm. maybe between those years. So you, so largely from what I got from what you just said, it's more so the application of information, right? But do you think um, some of that hinges on just the availability of information? Because largely you're kind of seen as, well, previously you're seen as an adult based on like how much you know, quote unquote. So your, your exposure to information since like, you know, we have the internet at our our fingertips and it's kind of hard to keep information from people. Do you think that plays a a part in that as well? I don't think it's about information as much as it's about character because Mm. you can know a lot but that doesn't necessarily make you a man or a woman Mm. um and so like will smith talks about that time that his dad made him like build a wall yeah and that changed him and that that's a rites of passage you know what i mean it's this elder elder figure that you look up to that is setting you up for a challenge and that you know it's testing not how smart you are right. it's testing just how you deal with c- conflict or challenges or doubt which you don't have to be super smart i think part of the issue is that we put too much of the pressure on how smart are you how well can you uh, score on this sat um and yeah for sure and it's interesting to me how like that um affects family right because i'll tell you um it used to be a time when people used to think, like, yo, by 30, I want my family. I remember actually when I was younger, I was like, I remember thinking, like, yo, I want my first child at 24. Oh, you bug. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I mean to say that a lot. No, because you think that because you're like, yo, I figure about my child. When my child's 20, I'm 44. Like, I'm still, you know, I can still run around. Like, you legit, like, there was a time when people were getting married in their early 20s or whatnot. Right. Now it's like, you know. Um, people are not even getting married. They're not even getting married. Number one, already having kids later. Hey, like Kanye at 38, Hove at, you know, a lot of people like people are getting married. And that's becoming like more norm. and more the norm Status is more quo. acceptable. Exactly. Um, that being a, a, a symptom of um, us not feeling aligned with our age. How do you feel like that part of it affects just the community or affects culture in a sense? That's a big one to unpack because there's a lot of things happening on a sociological level. You're talking about. The access to sex, you're talking about um, mm, true. Uh, psychological perspectives and, and ethical, like morals and values that people p- perceive uh, marriage as. And we're also talking about the generation that has the highest rate of divorced parents. So there's a lot right. about the uh, institution of marriage that we don't trust, don't understand, don't want to get involved with. Um, but, you know, what ends up happening is we lose out on learning what does come with partnership, not necessarily legal marriage per se, but, you know, back in sort of like baby boomer and even leaking into Gen X culture was this idea that you find you don't you don't go to college and then find yourself and then get your partner. You find your partner and then go to college and then build a life with them. And mm-hmm. it was 
it was seen as like life wasn't supposed to be gone gone through alone. Whereas I th- I see a lot in millennial culture, we glamorize being alone. Um, that's the cool thing to do. You shouldn't have to depend on anyone. You shouldn't have to need anyone. And I think it's the most unnatural um, approach to have. Not to say that you should have some kind kind of unhealthy codependency, but I think a lot of people are suffering from thinking that something's wrong with them for wanting partnership or wanting companionship when it's a very natural, I mean, we wouldn't be here on on an evolution level if we didn't have that partnership. And yeah, it's like we're dealing with the highest rates of loneliness and depression and anxiety. And I think it's directly correlated to people saying, well, before you even think about enjoying a connection with another human being, you better have a degree and you better have money. money. It doesn't, I mean... I don't understand why you have to rob yourself of human connection to have those things. But I agree. I think um, also to your point, I do remember when I was younger, you know, during the majority of the 90s, like there was this like the military had this army of one campaign that was really strong on television. And that really kind of stressed the idea of um, autonomy and and um, single mindedness mm-hmm. and, and being able to, you know, and then that um hand in hand can i'd like to ask you um does that go hand in hand with um you know the women's liberation movement at all you know kind of like the idea that women are are have accepted um themselves uh idealistically as you know um single entities and uh, of power yeah i mean there's no single entity of women without single entity of men like we've mm-hmm. i think have tried to replace each other with technology and that's just really uh, unnatural, in my opinion. And I think that it's unfortunate. Yeah. When you look, when you look down the line and you see when we like when this shit fucks us all up, right? <laughs> <laughs> ten, twenty years from now, what does that look like? Like, how does this? How are we getting affected? It looks by this like what it looks like now. I think. I think. I think we feel it now, but we don't feel it. Feel it. You know what I'm saying? But well, you don't. A lot, let's say so. Part of my work, a lot of my work, is trying to get people to not look at Black Mirror as a show about the future. It's a show about right now. It's very mm. hard to observe your environment on an objective level when you're in it. It feels invisible. It feels very natural and a part of your environment. But if you take a step out and you actually look at what is going on, you can see that we're at a very detrimental place right now as far as our relationship with the environment itself the the um the way that we're abusing the planet sure and um just the deterioration of human connection and relationships Mm -hmm. the fact that people are trying to avoid phone conversations and meeting up in person and that it is glamorized you will be praised on more than one level economically um, socially for being the one who got really rich and didn't need anyone. That is like the goal. Our, dem- our, our demise all started with a DM, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's hilarious. So your remedy um, largely deals with like leaning into that culture and not like separating yourself from it. Could you, um, you know, elaborate a bit more on that? Yeah, well, I wouldn't use the word remedy, but the way that I... I'm definitely not the person that says, okay, so delete your social media. That is not my style. 
I think what you're hinting on is that I emphasize on environments more than I emphasize on rules. So a lot of people are trying to combat these issues that we're having with, you know, human connection being threatened and intellectualism being threatened with rules. Turn off your phone, unplug, blah, blah, blah. Okay, sure. That's one way to maybe try. I think that a way to integrate it in a more sophisticated and realistic level is to create better environments that don't need you to act out these behaviors for the whole economy and social structure to function. Right now, you need to be a part of the mess that is social media right. to to socialize. And a, a lot of us have tied a lot of our money into it. So our incentives are not lined up. We can make all the rules that we want, but wouldn't it be better to create environments where we could, we don't have to fight against the things that are providing us with social lives and and money for sure do you think um instagram as far as like you know social media mental health do you feel like instagram is making the right step in like testing you know take being able to take off your likes and <laughs> follows yo i really don't even get that like they did it in canada right yeah they did it in canada <sighs> okay here's my issue so they're trying to get rid of the number because, yeah. you know, Instagram is a video game. A lot of people don't realize that. It's a video game. There's points. There's a way to navigate. Like, it's literally set up as a game. So taking out the numbers helps from people counting the score, which is cool. And I feel like, okay, like, I don't, I'm not going to, I'm not going to feel like, okay, they fixed it. Or I, I just, I don't like platforms that, need to sell your attention to profit and especially not at that scale. So to me, I'll be more impressed when their business model changes. It's nice that they're taking out the number of likes, but I mean, Snapchat was doing that in 2011. They had no likes. So yeah, it's not sure. that revolutionary. I mean, they've, you know, that like button has been in, has been invented since 2007 and it's about to be 2020. And I'm not going to get, you know, yeah. how many, how many, young women and men's self-esteem have been ruined because of that Stop. stupid feature. <laughs> that, yeah. Yeah, I guess. So. And, and and I don't, I don't talk about it much because I don't want to be too dramatic, but there is research. If people really want to look into it, there are, there's more research that are showing these correlations between young teen girls, specifically Gen Z girls, mm -hmm. um, and depression and anxiety with the use of Instagram specifically. And those, those same reports are showing um, this, there's an increase in suicide for young teenage girls. Now it's too soon to sit here and blame it on Instagram specifically, but you know, yeah. like there's, this is not simple shit. Like I don't, the reason why this is such a big deal to me is because these young people, they're coming into our environment. You know what I mean? And what are millennials doing to to halt this perception? We're just perpetuating it. We're definitely perpetuating it. Whose whose hands does this need to fall into for it to become a, a more um, healthy experience? Like the government has been basically filibustering, you know, uh, Zuckerberg. So what's so dangerous about that <clears throat> is because, and I talk about this in my talk. There, with each generation, knowledge gets outdated by the generation because of our fast adoption of technology. 
Breaking that down, what that means is that every time a new generation comes in, there's a new language. And if those two generations don't know how to speak to each other in the language, then mm-hmm. a lot gets lost in translation. Mm-hmm. So there, you know, when we think about how Zuckerberg was in Congress, those people in Congress are from a completely different generation. They can't really even understand what they're prosecuting Zuckerberg for. And, you know, similar thing happened with Gates, where when Gates was under a lot of heat, it was like it was painful for everyone because they didn't really understand what they were, what monopoly they were trying to stop. And Gates knew Mm. that they weren't like, even if he sat down and explained exactly what was going on, they didn't have the tech literacy to Mm. keep up. That's really dangerous because then it's not just about, okay, how does the government step in? They, how do we teach them how to step in? Mm -hmm. And how do we make sure? Yeah. Yeah. Like there's a lot, you know, and, and even on a wall street level, the reason why Facebook got this big is because the, of this blind technophilia of adopting. People just saw a certain number and they felt, OK, this is great. I'm going to invest all this money in. Oh, he's 19. Who cares? Mm-hmm. The numbers are showing up. The The consideration of what was happening to the environment, to the social environment was not. If anything, it was like, oh, these kids are smart. They're on the computer. They are little geniuses. Let's invest in this. Look how social they are. They're so connected. And Mm -hmm. I don't even know what Jimmy does, but he's on that computer all day. And Mm -hmm. that it's blind technophilia. Mm. So in your in your opinion, is capitalism really kind of the vehicle for the the detriment in in, in this scenario? Because in China, like they've already they've like surpassed this. Yeah, and, they, and they've and they completely, like, taken it off the board, you know China's I mean? doing a lot of smart things with their social media, in my opinion. But, no, I don't blame this on capitalism. I'm a capitalist um, until further notice. <laughs> and the reason why is because capitalism doesn't make people greedy. People are greedy, regardless, in any mm. economic system. So that's not... No, that's not the issue here. The issue is is a matter of ethics. And a lot of the times people think, oh, well, capitalism makes people unethical. No, people have been unethical under any type of economic sure. or governmental regime. So the question is, is anyone going to care? Is anyone going to like, and I, I'm not super bullish on this idea of people just waking up one day out of the goodness of their hearts and saying, hey, you know what, guys, this Instagram thing's kind of gotten out of hand. Let's all come together. No, there's going to have to be more of an economic behavioral tug. And a lot of companies are too afraid to do it. There's a lot of heat involved. There's a lot of competition involved. Um, there's a lot of old money involved, which mm-hmm. means people who don't, they they don't understand. It does not translate to their brains because they don't have the tech literacy to even understand what would what would be a more economically viable option right now. Does that make sense? Yeah. So as somebody who has to fly close to the sun, you know, to observe it, like what's your relationship like? How how has it affected your behavioral structure, um, your research? Uh, you know, what what is the um, kind of the blowback that you personally experience having to be so close to to the um, to the stimuli? Um, I feel like the most painful part about it is just being really misunderstood. And um, just like I just feel an increasing responsibility to better articulate. I just mm. it, part of this loss in translation thing. I feel like it's my job to help translate. 
to not just the other generations, but for ourselves, because we are all feeling these things, but we aren't having the best time communicating them, articulating them. And so that to me is this, that's the challenge I have, because trust me, I was just thinking about the other night, like I didn't have to do this. I really could have just I really could have just got my influencer bag and been out. Like, I really could have just done that. <laughs> well, uh, won't you flex on this? <laughs> Why don't you? No, because because like, the thing is, I see how much of an industry this is becoming. And yeah. I'm like, OK, like I chose this more difficult route. Mm. And I'm also kind of the party pooper. Like everyone loves my work. But yeah. like when it comes when push comes to shove, like I have been disinvited to certain influencer like dinners and stuff like that because everything I'm talking about is literally the antithesis. Mm. But they love the content. Yeah, because they know it's real. Real always resonates. What was that first thing that that caught you? That was just like the first red flag of like, oh shit, this is harmful. What was the first red flag in your journey? Because you legit really became a voice in this space, especially in this um in our culture, right? And um being a young woman of color, like to see you stand up when you could have got your influencer bag, like you got, you know, everything it takes to get that, you know what I'm saying? So right. it's just like, what was the first red flag that made you be like, you know what? I'm not just going to like, you know, do what everybody else is doing. I don't, I don't want a cult of sheep. I want a pack of wolves mm, no and pun. no pun. There you go. Hey. <laughs> and I was just really uncomfortable it's too easy to do groupthink on the internet. That's what scared me. That was the red flag is how I saw myself trying to really build this authentic thing. And I saw how many people were comfortable building inauthentic things mm. and knowing that because they can get away with it and it would be fine because there's enough people who are dying for someone to tell them what to do and what to think and how to live. And I never wanted to do that. Like, and I saw that I had the power to do that and I was uncomfortable with that power. And I was like, wait, how do I find people who actually think for themselves? And then I realized, oh, that's going to be a smaller group of people. But I rather just for my own self-conscious make work for those kind of people because they they stimulate me. They challenge me. I didn't want to cater to just, you know, dumb Internet. <laughs> yeah, I feel you with that one. How much so. You know, largely we pride ourselves on we're an innovative culture, right? Like everything has to be brand new or what have you. Are there some things that we kind of left in the in the past that we should possibly revisit, you know, going forward? You mean technology wise? Yeah, technology wise or behaviorally like you because. Um, Presence. Okay. So the issue Ooh. right now is that we we're building all of our communication technology to not have presence in it. But the only way to have effective communication is to have presence. So there's an issue here. And what I mean is that Twitter and Instagram are both designed so that you dump information and you expect people to catch up. That is the way we are communicating with each other. Even an email is designed this way. And it's so what happens is that you are you are expected to shift through all the information and find news, what's going on in your social life information that you need to know through this dump instead of communication platforms that say hey in order to get this information you will have to be present mm -hmm. and we'll be present and as two parties we will communicate through a present medium and so to your question of like oh what should we revisit <laughs> um we should revisit 
adding that presence and so part of like the reason why the millennial doesn't want to be on the phone is because since we're so spoiled with communications that you don't need to be present for the phone does demand that you're present you mm -hmm. have to be right there in the moment mm -hmm. um and so the closer the more enhanced the presence is the more the millennial stereotypically is like oh i don't want to do that oh in person this meeting could have been an email this phone call could have been a text how dare you <laughs> try to add presence into this communication where mm. i'm you guys are business people you know like the yeah. meetings that you have in person are going to be more effective than that email sure. because you're just connecting there's so much more stimuli happen or um, I think appropriate stimuli happening, you're really actually connecting with that person in a way that the medium of email cannot um, allow. Sure. I'm not saying throw all the other stuff in the garbage, but to use those mediums as the number one way to communicate, of course your relationships are going to have problems. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree, man, because like remote culture is like super huge in the workplace right now. Mm -hmm. And there's not, I do remember like the type of um, the sensation you feel like when you see that one on one come on your calendar from your manager, <laughs> you're like, oh, man, I got to sit down with this guy. Right. Way. You know what I'm saying? But there's there's less of like a um, immediacy to it when it's kind of like over a screen. You know what I'm saying? Travis is a big proponent of like face to face. Yeah, I like um, conversations. Um, yeah, I mean, bringing people together. Like you always you know how it is. It's like the vibes, the vibes change, you know, people. uh I think you kind of can like looking somebody in the eye is so powerful. There's so much behind that. Like you can oh, get on your get bully, more. Trav. Huh? Get on your bully. <laughs> you can't get more intimate. Well, the other it's thing real. I wanted to address is that when you had asked, oh, I think you said something like previous generations seem to have more rites of passage. It wasn't so much that they had rites of passage, but they the um, social climate demanded that they change their behavior to get access to adult things mm, with millennial, exactly. with millennial culture, since the economy grew into us, instead of us having to grow out into yep. it, we can act out so many of the same adolescent behaviors, uh, this, that's which so is how crazy. many of us are still acting now. And we can get away with it because the economy allows you articulate that. So well. I look at that. The best example for me of that is that, um, that girl, bad Barbie. Um, Bad Babby or whatever. And Dr. Oh, the rapper? Girl. Dr. Phil Girl. Yeah, the yeah, Dr. Yeah, yeah, Phil yeah. Girl. Talking about rapper. She legit. Yo, she got some joints, bro. Canceled. <sighs> this guy's crazy. Y'all some hate. He's a whole fan. But, um, yeah, like, um, and please, pretty much somebody wrote those bars. You should know that. But anyway, yeah, like, she pretty much got rewarded for behaving badly. You know what Attention I mean? Attention for like, sale. There you go. But all right. So, but even in, even in, at that point, right? I mm -hmm. think that's kind of like an American culture kind of thing because that's not that's not anything new. Like people have no, always kind right. of been rewarded for getting attention. Bad yeah, man. for fuckery. You know, it's what I'm not. She's. It, it it boils down to on this level though. Like I feel like it's different. Okay, the length she gets to go into, she, she gets to go into that corporate office or her manager, and they get to show that number. That's all those older generations are looking for. Mm. They're not like, oh, what about the quality of the music? This is why, like, all the real artists are in pain. Like, my DMs are filled with people, like, who actually play instruments and, you know, are mm. actual poets. And, like, the market isn't set up for them. Mm. And they have to look at people like that and be like, why? How come? And it's like, because your talent is not in demand. What's in mm. demand is identity and attention. So, again, 
the way we set our money up in this economy doesn't really it's not about value. It's about ads. <laughs> it's about giving time and space for ads, mm. which so, is not the same as actual cap. Good old traditional capitalism is when goods and services are exchanged. So is there a lane for like a like a sub Internet of individuals that are looking for more of that sensationalized, um, you know, space where they can be more uh, intimate with each other? Yeah, absolutely. I think I mean, the real Internet has always been the real internet and will always be. I think the people who were there before it became a, a product for every consumer, they still communicate on Reddit and 4chan and all these like super internet culture platforms. But I think that I, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen with the millennial. It really right now just seems like we're under such a spell because mm -hmm. even the ones who claim to be conscious and who will go on their Instagram and be like, Hey guys, you know what? We should all take a detox. They're still perpetuating the, same. the culture. Like, yeah, you're still playing the, the video game yep. of the algorithm. Mm -hmm. And even with myself, like I, I feel like I have to, I, I don't want to play the game. Like I know the Instagram game. Right. That's how I got started. Mm -hmm. And I just think it's whack. It's so corny to me. Mm -hmm. So Definitely real, a tool, huh? the real quick question. I, I, I've always, my mom has always been like, you know, man always wants to be like God. So now we're omniscient because we have information at our, you know, fingertips. We're omnipresent because we can be anywhere, you know, by virtue of the internet. Right. In terms of sensation, like feeling, what do you, what do you foresee for that particular um, lane? Like physical sensation? Yeah. Um, I don't know. That's kind of a weird question. I I think that um, everything is being designed to exploit our senses. So the eye has been like, everything we see is like vision masturbation. It's like really nice on the eyes. That's how Instagram was, be, was able to be so successful is that it's about capturing your literal attention. As far as other things, I mean, you know, there's money going into like VR porn. Um, porn is always like a initiator of most industries or sex is always like related to how most industries start. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really okay. Like, I don't understand what's the point of having virtual reality when you have real reality. Like, they're trying to make virtual reality so lifelike yeah. that it's just like, well, then... Like, if you have a virtual reality of being on a hill and it's so lifelike, then why don't you just go to the fucking hill? Like, I don't understand that. Mm -hmm. And so I think that with sex, it it might get to a point where, okay, you can be so perfectly stimulated to a point that you will want surprise and you will want to not know exactly how it will play out. And that's called real life. Mm -hmm. So it's like we're building all of these technologies to Mimic. when we have this masterful dimension of reality. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. How <laughs> yeah. do you even explain that? Like, why? You know what I mean? Like, it's it's it's. Are we bored? Where we? I the way I would put it is that we have a very poor philosophy. Mm. We we don't like meaning appreciation of the arts of intellectualism. That's not really what America is about. America is about the market and status and this is what it ends up translating to. This is America. Yeah. You know, to, to that last point, I, I did think it was interesting. I remember there was an article that Playboy um, was making a decision to stop showing completely nude women. 
like now if you I, I guess if you thumb through a playboy like they have you know like negligees on or like brawn panties because it's kind of like since everything is so available right now it's kind of like they had to take that step back to mm. become you know um remarkable and, in, in right. the market. and to your point i want to actually ask um especially for our listeners to see if there's a business opportunity to this right since it's since the digital experience is being you know inundated um our physical experiences now, do you see that now taking a rise or is it just like a novelty thing that's going to happen in the future? Do you see more physical experience, us sharing actual, us different platforms that are being birthed for people, for us to come together for like in-person connection? Do you feel um, there's business opportunities in that space? Yeah, but I think it's more about identity than anything else because people are still very, I think, intimidated about having like going into having an experience it has to be what does this experience say about me we're dealing mm. i i often say like this is not a battle of the market this is a battle of the minds and so right now again it seems like the majority and i could be wrong but from my perspective it seems like the majority of our generation is bewitched by this instagram game that we all really want to play for sure we don't have to play this game we all want to win at it we all want to try to win at it That's and um but I think on top of that, I, I, if if you explore my work, you'll see that I don't believe in offline and that mm. the idea of having like more offline experiences, I believe in having more experiences where the Internet doesn't interrupt you. It is a seamless integration in your life the way Alexa is or the way any other technology is that doesn't need an on or an off button. Right, the right. on or the off button is an illusion that you can be online or offline. That's stemming from 1990s internet where you had to go to a physical location in the home yeah. to log on and the internet was branded as a physical destination. It is not. It is as ingrained as electricity or water is. Um, we're not addicted to electricity for turning on the light bulb and when we get home. So mm. we, what we're addicted to is gamification metrics and poorly designed technology that exploits us. We're not addicted to the internet. The internet's a very abstract, technical thing. Right, right. Um, and there's amazing things we could be doing with it. We're literally using the bottom of the bottom for it. We're, right. we're using it as a weapon against ourselves. Right. I think, so my argument to that is, I actually think that it's not about the internet being more natural for us or being in a space where it's interruptive. I think um, people who crave an offline experience and those offline experiences all comes down to privacy. I think that's the thing that makes, will make an offline experience, you know, more valuable and why people want it and why it can be a thing because of, you know, you're private. Like I remember I was at um friend's crib or whatnot and, and it was all chilling. It was a good time. And then somebody had to pull up the phone. Let's IG this. And I was like, yo, we good. Like, we but, but that's not like, the internet. That's IG. I, I need people to see that difference. The yeah. internet is not IG. The, the, inter, the IG wishes it could be. That's like saying the electric chair is electricity. Right, right, mm. okay. Electricity can do so much more than buzz you in a chair. Okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah, I yeah. need that distinction because... That's the issue is that if we're talking about business opportunities. Too many people are building technology with that philosophy and that approach as if offline and online exist. So we keep making stuff to 
to design ourselves to completely remove ourselves from the internet instead of integrating. Mm -hmm. How does this become a part of our life? The snap comes to you. I always talk about Snapchat because it integrates presence. You don't have to check the Snapchat feed to figure out what your friends are doing. The way that this started is that it was a way to communicate in person. It's like a Polaroid in reverse. It's fading out of existence instead of in. Mm. That's a great way to communicate, like especially because of the language with the cameras. You're talking about IG. You're not yeah. talking about the internet. Because okay. at that same party, you're going to need music that you're probably going to stream from the internet. There's probably a bunch of other things that you're going to need yeah. from the internet. For sure. So what happens when all of these uh, free services like, you know, Facebook, Instagram are right. no longer... Um, what was the second part keeping of that? The, keeping the people in communication yeah, with each keeping other. people in communication. Yeah. yeah, because, okay, and I love this question. It's very important for every... Fire. They all go crazy. Every creative needs to understand this relationship. So when you say, oh, I have an audience and I have 10K followers, you it is an audience you are renting. You don't own the audience. You're renting access to them because you gave your contact information to a third-party platform that is giving you permission to to communicate with them on that platform. If mm. anything happens and they don't want you talking to those people or something comes up or if there's a glitch, they, that information can be gone. And what are you left with? What audience do, do you really have? And what do you really own? The difference is not trying to calculate your audience as followers but as actual contact information i often say that a business is only as powerful as its contact list mm. so it's very it's as simple as phone numbers and email addresses or mm. addresses and the the catch is you have to figure out how to get people to in this video game go from that app to your website to insert their email address or other creative ways to do it um but yeah, of course that, you know, we're millennials. We've been through MySpace. A lot of us have left Facebook. So what happens when the people leave the platform, but you've built that audience on there? How do you stay in touch with them? And what's so ironic about the internet is that it is, it, we, we're more, we're technically more connected than ever before, but we feel more disconnected than ever before. And it's so weird how we can all be in communication, yet it's very hard to communicate with each other. So even if you do have those email addresses, you still have to compete with the vastness that is the email box, the inbox, and you have to work within that medium to communicate to your audience, which I think is painfully outdated. It makes zero sense to me why we have put so little faith in trying to facilitate the communication between the people who want to stay in contact from the people who want to hear from them. It's this is why I have an issue with the term social media, because I find it to be everything but social. It is market media. It is to sell things, which is fine, but call it what it is. It's not to communicate. But what about like the mute button? That's something that I employ very uh, vigorously. <laughs> the <in> mute my... <laughs> button was built because they don't give a shit about your relationships. The mm. mute button is a way to further perpetuate false relationships because basically it's saying I'll follow you on paper, but yeah. I'm not going to follow you in real life. Mm. That's kind of how is that? Um, you know, not like real life though. I mean, there's people that you know that you don't keep in contact with you know like analog wise so like in a digital good design does not need a mute button the i hear what you're saying but it's just like if you feel like you have to mute that person it's because 
whatever they're communicating on there is irrelevant to you. So how is it social media? How is it a communication platform if you have to mute what they're communicating? So does that so you know to go a little bit further on, on that point does that become they don't, a, Instagram, a curatorial issue or Instagram doesn't care if everyone mutes everyone. And that's an issue because all they care about is that you you're putting your eyeballs on that app. So mm. if you're going to call yourself a social media and you don't care if you, there's whole groups of people who are friends on paper but they're not really following each other. They can't stand each other because of how they, because of how they act on Instagram. Mm. Like that's a mess. That is a disaster when it comes to actually trying to network and actually trying to connect with people. That makes no sense. They don't care about your relationships. Mm. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, I don't, when they did that and everyone's like, oh, thank God. Cause I, that, to me, that's like, you're you're a slave to this product. Yeah, if sure. if you're like, oh, thank God for putting this mute button, who are they? Like, it's giving them. We've given this app way too much power. Because I I originally took it as more of like a, a curatorial um thing, but to your point, because it's like why you follow them exactly? Because unfollowing has to, become too much of a political yeah, gesture sure. now. Mm. It's like MySpace top eight. Mm. It's way deeper than that. We were teenagers. Yeah. This is, and I talk about this in the talk as well. These immature internet behaviors are stuff that we picked up between the ages of ten and fifteen. So that's how ten and fifteen year olds Operate. communicate as immature teenagers. But now, if I'm a grown woman and I feel like unfollowing you might jeopardize literally a bag, that that's crazy. Because mm. mm. this is supposed to be, you know. Social media. Alex wants to be able to dub you. <laughs> oh, and I do. And people get in their feelings. <laughs> no doubt. It's just funny. Um, um, sneakers is fire. But uh, I want to ask a really serious question. I didn't want to have to go here, but I think I'm going to have to do. Alex Wolf. <laughs> if you were stuck on an island. <laughs> <laughs> and you had to bring three albums with you. Oh God, this is a boring question. This was your serious question. Oh yeah, for sure. Nah, this by is the a way, good question. By the question way, no, no shit I don't. On the I don't like questions like this. I can learn a lot about you. We no, learn because audience learns a lot about no, you. No, I don't like got, questions. You got to like play this. along. Yeah, you, you're you on kind of You kind of don't. But you're on an island, stuck on an island. You got to bring three albums with you, or three platforms to stay in contact with the. There aren't three. Give me two. Don't do that. There aren't three. <laughs> what are the three albums? I don't like doing this. I know, but just humorous. Okay. Oblige um, us. Yes, I could literally you. sit here for like 60 minutes. So We will judge you. Just to let you know. <laughs> I, I don't like answering these questions either because... I'll Yo, like listen to something. I'll be like, oh, I should have said that. It's not even that deep. Just people come. It along. is that deep. No, nah, it's not. Yes, it is. It is. A hundred years from now, I'll be like, damn, she like that shit. <laughs> it, it is, but in this moment, okay, the music that right now, maybe you be listening to. I mean, everybody like for us, obviously. It's okay, 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 okay. Um, it is definitely no reasonable doubt. Reasonable doubt. Mm, cool, cool. Do um, we approve, guys? Reasonable doubt. Yes. I don't give a shit. You approve. <laughs> How about that? It's crazy. Um, so I Want You by Marvin Gaye. Mm. 
That's a single. No, that's the name of the album. That's a girl for me. It's another one. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> and um, uh, shit. An album. Album. Like start to finish. Yeah. Mm, I think I'm gonna go with Beyonce. Dangerously in love. It's mm. a nice mix. Yeah, that that is a good album. Hove, Marvin Gaye, B. Can't go wrong. Word. Dope. Yeah. What I, about I love early Beyonce. top three platforms all time? No, we already time. did top three. No, top three platforms all time. There are no time. top three platforms of all time. Skonex. Niggas need to invent it. <laughs> Y'all are clowns. Black Planet. <laughs> Black Planet was lit. Y'all go stop playing. Black Planet was lit. Oh, you probably man. still on Black Planet. <laughs> Yo, did it so long? Like, Hold lit. on, time out. You right. mean last night? You 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 got jokes, but didn't like Solange like do something with Black Platinum recently? Like so he's a joint. So good point. And that's Beyonce's sister. So got you know there. So you gonna go against Beyonce's sister? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Boogie, for coming on the podcast. Thanks. Oh, Thanks. Always a pleasure, for sure. We appreciate um what you represent in the culture. I appreciate you guys. For sure. And we can, we'll continue to champion your message. Word. Yeah, I, I suppose. I mean, we asked you this before, but like, you know, what drives you? At least today. You know what I'm saying? 2019. For yeah. sure. Uh, human connection. There you go. That's beautiful. Preser- preserving human connection. Mm. So that our lives don't seem meaningless. Facts. Boogie said it first, y'all. Where where can we find you on the social? And also, um, when will that uh, conversation be available from tomorrow? Uh, awesome, awesome. Where at YouTube? So, um, if you're interested in following my work, just go to alexwolf.co and you can sign up for my email list. And there's an archive of my most popular work that will be sent to you immediately, with like a list of podcasts and interviews and videos that um, have been spread around. And then if you want to follow me on social you can at alex wolf on instagram and alex wolf co on twitter definitely sweet and definitely pick up resonate Resonate. oh yeah i have a book book. called resonate it's on amazon it's for anyone who wants to build an audience it's for creatives who hate social media Mm. there you have it there you have it you have it like we always say this time they just they just